and welcome to Purposeful Empathy, a show dedicated to conversations with people who want to grow and spread empathy throughout the world. Welcome to another episode of Purposeful Empathy. Today I'm joined by Tori Edwards, who is an exhibition and graphic designer currently working in Kansas City. And in on her fabulous website, which we'll include uh, in the description below, um, she writes, I feel a responsibility to create experiences that help people communicate and better understand different cultures to the benefit of the collective well-being of our society, which I absolutely love. So thank you for being with us, Tori. Thank you for having me. Now, I had the pleasure of, um, I guess, virtually meeting you at a conference that we attended last week, um, the, the Empathy Summit that was hosted by Elif Gokidem. And I have to tell you that I have always felt a little bit out of sorts when I walk into a museum. I've never been, you know, I go to, I've traveled a lot and I, I don't make museums like one of my spots to visit because I just feel really intimidated. I feel they're super elitist and out of touch. And, but mm -hmm. the conversations we had at last week's um, conference and your presentation and other presentations really made me think about the world of art a little bit differently. So thank you for, for um, the work that you do and, and inspiring me a little bit to look at, um, you know, spaces that hold art as a place that maybe could actually, you know, be an attractive thing for me to participate in and, and get, you know, comfortable with. Right. So no, I totally <laughs> you were going to tell me because just in the pre-call, we were just getting to know each other a little bit that, um, that there's a big difference between galleries and museums. So could you unpack that for us? Sure. So I like to differentiate between art galleries, which is more um, the elitist space you were talking about. And they're not always, but sometimes mainly just like photos on a wall, imagery, like sculptures in the middle of the room. And it's more of an art gallery space. Um, I've seen them done really well recently. But I like to say I'm an exhibit designer. So that's like an exhibit's an entire experience. It's all encompassing. It kind of just like makes you walk through an entire like um, installation. So for example, I like to use this as an example. I saw it when I was 16. It's called Dialogue in the Dark. It's in a mm -hmm. traveling exhibition that um, it's basically a blind experience. And you walk in, there are no visuals. And they give you like, you're, you're with your family, but you're also with other families pre-COVID. Um, and they give you a walking stick and the lights kind of go down like slowly. And then you walk, basically walk through all of these set scenes as a blind person. Your tour guide is blind and they bring you like through the beach, like to cross street and to markets. You could open the doors and like feel the air on you. I knock things over. And I was like, I'm sorry. But like, they wanted you to do that for that experience. And like, that to me is an exhibit. Like that's it's an exhibition. There were no visuals. There was only feeling and emotion. And it was amazing. It was the most amazing experience I had, but I was like a teenager. So I like, that was what I loved to think about. And then I went to like into graphic design at Drexel and they basically taught us also exhibition design. So that's what I did for my thesis there. Um, and then I went into marketing design for a few years and then I just was like, this isn't, this isn't fulfilling. So I needed to go back and basically figure out how to make kinds of experiences that would like 
teach you someone else's culture and teach you someone else's experience and help you like bridge communication gaps. Um, and like, there are so many beautiful ways to facilitate difficult conversation. And that's basically what brought me into the industry because I'm, I love having conversation. So that to me was like meaningful and purposeful. So yeah. Did that help like differentiate? Yeah. Yeah. That's super helpful. Like something that's experiential and provocative as opposed to like, watch how fabulous I am and why you don't understand me. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. I mean, even those, like there are, uh, for example, there are gallery experiences that do bring you into someone else's um, culture and identity, but it's mainly those that's recently like there's been a, this mass action of like movement basically teaching like museums to be a site for social action and even art galleries have the like potential to do so it's just they have to like do it and they have to like have more than one perspective on the wall like um they have to incorporate the people like if you're showing asian art like asians should be involved in that process like from beginning to end um same with african americans like if you're doing an african art exhibit look around you if there are only white people making decisions that's that's a problem because it's not going to reach that audience it's a perspective missing um and that is what we're calling out it's like nothing about us without us kind of thing so yeah so tell me a little bit about your capstone. It's super fascinating. I don't, I, 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 I'm prepared to read the beautiful description on your website, but maybe also yeah. really want to hear your words too. So what's, what, what was well, that capstone about? Go for it. Go read it and then I'll respond to that. I, mean, I would okay. like to hear what I wrote. <laughs> okay. So I'm on, here we are. Empathetic connections are lacking in most of the current structure of GLAM institutions. GLAM being galleries, libraries, archives, and museums are ideal places for cross-cultural and cross-generational interaction. When utilized correctly, they become spaces where visitors gain new perspectives and an understanding of those who are different than them. However, based on current research, many GLAM institutions are missing their mark to reach diverse audience groups authentically. Many people don't trust museums and call them out for not taking on their roles as sites of social action seriously. This distrust is especially prevalent for communities of color who continue to state that they do not see themselves represented in exhibition content and design or museum staffing. So what can we do to fix this problem as exhibition curators and designers? It's fabulous, very evocative. So what did you discover? Oh, I discovered so much. So I took a different perspective on it. Um, I created an exhibition at the Colored Girls Museum in Philadelphia. Um, And it's, I created an exhibit called Queens, the Weight of Our Crown. And it was exclusively speaking to women of African diaspora. That was my primary audience. Um, It changed like somewhere halfway along my development process when I decided to do it at the Colored Girls Museum, because number one, their audience was women and women, women of African diaspora. So I wasn't about to change that or mess with that at all. But it created, it presented a lot of very interesting like opportunities. Like for example, when I, whenever I or anyone else facilitated a tour, we explain that. We explain that the if you are not of African diaspora, you're more than welcome to be a part of the conversation and listen in. But the the basic voice of the museum and the basic voice of that 
exhibition will not speak directly to you, meaning the museum panels are written for women of African diaspora. It had our slang, our twang, and had our like identity deeply woven into it. So that in itself created a moment of like flipping the script because I saw women who were not of African diaspora and one male, <laughs> I will say they were, they were diverse, of like a group of Penn students who came through who basically like had to ask for permission in a way to like, am I, am I allowed to come in here? And I was like, yes, please come in, like do everything, look at everything. But that moment of just like, am I allowed? Am I invited? Is this for me? Is something that doesn't usually happen if you're not of like color. So I wanted that moment. It, it, it presented a moment where I was like, yes, like that's what it feels like. And I want you to know what that feels like to walk into a museum exhibit. And even if it is about your culture and not feel like it's for you. Um, and then and being invited in was like, a great moment for them because they automatically went in and looked at everything. But it was the women of color that went in with no problem. They didn't ask. They just like, this is for me. Like, I'm going to go talk and join this conversation. So that was like powerful for me because I was like that. I didn't mean to do that. That just kind of happened when I spoke directly to one group of women. Um, and the Color Girls Museum made me check myself, honestly. Um, I love Vashai Dubois. I'm the owner and the... Um, director but she basically when I started to design I realized that I'm very like western trained I'm like a Drexel designer and then I was a UArts designer so I had to take a step back and because everything I was designing didn't fit into the space because the space had little to no western influence it's basically all culture all identity all us all the time so when I started to design and it didn't fit. I was like, why? Like, what is, what am I, this sticks out too much. And I had to like stop designing and just like research African art, like full on like textures and patterns and clothing patterns and fabric like swatches and things like that and really get into it. So eventually the work fit into the space. And that's why I was like, yes, like perfect. But it made me check myself. So that's like why my thesis was called Empathy Check, where like you're constantly checking yourself, constantly checking your blind spots, making sure that everyone's voice is included, whose voice is not included, where am I missing things, and check yourself against other people. Like also have a team that's there to like hold you accountable and make sure that you're not starting the story in the wrong spot. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so what did you learn about empathy then um, through your, through your most recent work? Oof. I learned a lot about empathy. <laughs> well, we can talk about that for hours. Um, mainly I learned that objects are a representation of people who can't speak for themselves. So I learned how to place objects in ways that like that you could see a part of the past but you could also see yourself in it in a way because it's nostalgic. Like, for example, I used a lot of dolls, like, and all the dolls had different hair textures and different materials for their hair. But moments where you're like seeing something you would see in your room or seeing something that would like speak to you as a person, no matter who you are. So nostalgic moments to make people like see themselves in it, but then other orienting. So making sure that there there's a moment where you're like wondering or figuring out what it feels like to be them in that situation rather than what does it feel like for me to be in, for me to be in that situation. So that was also something I realized needs to be there as well. Um, other than nostalgia and using objects to speak for the, for people um, and narratives. Um, narratives are huge. 
Um, I learned that through The Enemy, um, which is a traveling exhibition that's VR mainly um, by Kareem Ben Khalifa. And I read a quote by him that I'll read again. Let me see if I can find it in my stack of like post-it notes. But, <laughs> but I love this quote because it basically explained everything I was trying to say. Um, and I was like, oh, that's exactly what I wanted. Okay, found it. We make sense of the world through stories and we remember through experiences what happens when someone else's story becomes your experience. And to me, that's exactly what the blind experience was. It was like a moment where you're walking in their shoes and no, you're not going to feel exactly how they feel. But even for a moment, you get an insight of like perspe their perspective and what their decisions were and like what, what was involved in their decision making. Um, so yeah, that's some of what I learned about empathy. There's a lot more, but there's like scratching the surface right there. Yeah, and um, would you be willing to share, I'm gonna see if I can uh, make my screen share, give my screen share power to you. Would you be willing to share some some images from that exhibit that you just spoke about? Because sure. when, you, when you spoke last week, I was just riveted. Yes, of course, I have it up, so I can definitely show you a few. Let me see if I can share my screen. So I will go through this to the pages where we start to talk about the mission. So this is the, the Colored Girls Museum in Philadelphia in Germantown. Um, it's the mission of my particular exhibit was to build empathetic connection among women of African diaspora around the subject of hair and restore some of the lost identity without judgment. Um, and I also did a partnership with a black owned beauty supply store called Martian Main um, downtown as well. Um, so this was the introductory panel that basically explained the primary audience situation I was talking about. And, um, and I made sure just everyone in the um, Empathy Summit, the empathetic development team was made up of a lot of different people. Obviously, there were different subject matters. So there were different developers and curators and museum founders and social justice activists. But there were 10 African-Americans, five Caucasian people, and one Asian-American, just to show them vast amount of like perspective I found that I needed to check me all the time. Um, the first experience when you walked in was called um, <clears throat> Queen Style, and it focused on African hairstyles pre-transatlantic slave trade. Um, this is no Western influence. It basically explained that it was, their hair was a complex language system where you could look at someone and know what tribe they were from, um, if they were married, if they were in polygamous marriage, um, how old they were, um, all of these things. And I tried to find recognizable hairstyles as well, um, like bantu knots and things we still do. And then I found um, styles that probably wouldn't be like visualized a lot um, in media, but I just wanted to show the breadth and just beauty that was that they had compared to any kind of Western influence. So I started there. The second experience was a lot more intense. Um, I built an auction block um, to show that moment of trauma where they were literally shaved of that identity. Um, there was hair on the actual bottom of the block when there was a um, panels explaining that loss of identity and how much of like how how would you if you were forced to shave your head how would that impact your identity um the back of the auction blog had um slave auction ads um 
skin lightening ads, hair straightening ads, and runaway ads with very, very like descriptive just like um, depictions of black bodies. And some of the verbiage we'd re- we'd recognize, and some of it we wouldn't. But to, just to show that moment of just like how much that impacted us as a people. And then also the amount of colorism that, that someone else was deciding what you were worth in your community. Um, and this moment of just still being in judgment, no matter what you're doing with your hair. Um, the second part of this experience in the same room, just to the right of the auction block was this talk back experience called if you say we hear, and that was directed mainly um, like just to focus on the moments that cause internal judgment for women of color. Like if you say fix your hair, like you hear there's something wrong with my hair. Like, ugh, I have to do your hair later. Your hair's a burden. Uh, Are you mixed? You can't possibly look like that if you're just black. So like things that we would say to each other that would like cause damage. And this is a section that was like super powerful for me to see because women, I, I I offered the experience for them to write down like just stories or memories or just comments and put them in the bucket that corresponded with the phrase. And I ran out of paper like so many times because women just needed to share their experiences. And some women cried and were talking about their hair journeys and like how one girl felt totally just down because her mom yelled at her for cutting all her hair off, like because she worked so hard on it. So this was a moment of just like conversation. And it was difficult conversation because I've seen like my own cousins walk up to this and be like, I say that to my kids. So like just moments where you're actually checking yourself as a woman and be like, what am I saying that could possibly damage my children or my my future um, as well? Because you've heard it in your head as well. And these are the dolls I was saying that all of them have different materials for hair. I love this one. This was nails. So just seeing how different artists depicted hair as well. In this last experience, full experience, um, I talked about the black hair 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 care industry. And I started with Anon and Madam CJ Walker. And not just because they were like promote like they're controversial in the sense that they were promoting hair straightening products. But I mainly talked about how they created 40,000 jobs in Jim Crow segregation for women of color and how much is that industry was worth then and how much our industry is worth now and how much of that goes back into our communities. So I had like a cabinet of curiosity kind of thing on one side of the room that basically showed all of the things that women had to use on their hair when they didn't have products like kerosene and bacon grease and lye and not like actual butter knives to curl your hair. Um, And then on the opposite side, Marsh and Maine um, donated a bunch of um, hair care products to show like natural ways now that we have that we can use on our hair to like keep it healthy, whether you want to straighten it or whether you want to wear it natural. Um, And then I also listed a group of black owned beauty supply stores where we could shop and keep that money in our community. I picked ones that were close to the Color Girls Museum so that women who were in that neighborhood can go there. And I saw so many women snapping pics of it with their phone, like, oh, I didn't even know that was over there. So um, this was really important to me as well. And the last experience, I made sure that I didn't end on a negative note because I wanted them to feel inspired when they left and like empowered to speak to their children about this um, and what they feel every day. So there was a reflection room um, that had a bunch of books where they could look at these um, stories and like suggestions of books that they could buy for their kids. 
Um, the survey was also in there. So that's how I got all of my uh, summative data. But in this room, we had like very soft music. And like, so I wanted it to feel like very um, calming and um, healing as well um, towards the end. So yeah, I can stop sharing because those are those beautiful. I recognize actually. that little children's book. Uh, I love who I am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my sister gave I it do. to my daughter. Yep, I have that for my little cousin. And there's a boy's version too. So I gave oh. them both to my little cousins just to make cool, sure. Cool, cool. Well, gosh, that's beautiful. Thank you so much. I, I, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm reflecting on the, um, what you shared about the empathy check is something that you constantly felt that you personally had to do also. Um, yeah. I wonder whether or not, and, and, and I think it would be fair to say that, you know, you discovered that there were things that you had to unlearn and course correct on, right? On your own empathy check Absolutely. journey. What advice would you give or what any thoughts that come to your mind if there are well-meaning people uh, on their mm -hmm. own journey of consciousness that get an empathy check, like, you know, are kind of not in full alignment or kind of like still learning, making mistakes, falling around um, yeah. to, to own that and to have the humility and the kindness to kind mm -hmm. of get to the other side. Absolutely. Um, so that's what I'm saying. Like it's, it's no matter who you are, you're constantly, you didn't grow up in a bubble. Like you are influenced by things that are around you. So if you hear something you don't quite like about yourself, like I challenge you to sit with it, like take it home, sit with it, like maybe ask opinions on it to your family members, but that could also go wrong. Um, but just think about it and then don't necessarily like take it as that's your end all to be all. You learn from it. You learn that this is not intentional. And if it is intentional, be intentional in fixing it. Um, find ways that are like, for example, when I started the project, um, I was going to start with the judgment zone. I was going to start with the auction block. Um, and then Tom Nixon Silberg, um, one of my thesis advisors, an amazing partner, amazing woman. Um, she's the social act activist I let, um, I spoke about in my de empathy development team. She checked me because she was like, that's not where our story begins. There was a whole life before that happened to us. Our story did not start in America. And I'm like, you're right. And she's like, yeah, that's not our story. That's not where we begin as a people. And that was like the check I needed because I was like, well, crap, I don't know everything I thought I knew. Um, and that's what I mean by like, take it in. Like, it's not going to feel good. And that's, but that's growth. Like no growth feels great right away. Um, you have to be able to like, be humble enough to like, want to make that change and then make the change, like make a conscious effort to like, be a better person, be a better museum professional, because it's our jobs to have these conversations. If we're not, we're doing a huge service to our visitorship. Like, this is who we, we chose this. Like, so be active about making those changes. Um, but yeah, and it's not necessarily like, that's your end all to be all, you have to stay there. Like, it's just a check. And then you keep it moving. And then you make better decisions next time. So are you aware of any, most things are happening online now, right? 
due yeah. to COVID <laughs> and to the foreseeable future. Do you have a set of resources that maybe you could share where people can actually uh, have some online experiences with different exhibitions? Like if they want to sort of practice and flex their empathy muscles intentionally around learning about different cultures and, and histories? Of course. Oh my goodness. Um, there's so many, I would say, if you're an institution and you're looking for some kind of way to like do it as a team, I would look at the empathetic museum. Um, they have a lot of work that actually like, like kind of like quizzes that you can use to check off things and learn things that way. Um, mass action is amazing. Um, they have a whole handbook. I like actually have that handbook somewhere. Um, but the handbook itself has a bunch of tools in it um, that will help like people, well, institutions like check their, their pat, their EDI um, and see if it's actually working. Um, like, because it's not just about like, we have an EDI plan. Like, is it sufficient? Like, is it working? Um, so mass action, definitely. Um, whew, what else? <laughs> There's so oh, many, honestly. It's a, no, I was about to say, this is a, there's a big influx of this happening. So like, if you Google it, you will find. Um, those two are the ones I use mostly, but like there are so many different programs people are using because this is important. Like this is, this is why we are where we are. There's a lack of empathy in the world um, and a lack of understanding of other people's experiences. So Google it, find it. Like I challenge them to find it and look, tell me so I can go look at it. Um, but those are the ones I found so far that are amazing. Um, um, and they're brutal. Like they are, they're very like, it, like just, they tell you like it is and be humble about it. And mm. um, before I, I thank you so much for your time and, and just sharing all of that, you had a cue card earlier that you referred to where you quoted uh, another artist. I don't have any idea what those cue cards are for, if it was for our conversation or other conversations, but I want to just offer space if there's anything in those cue cards that you think is just like worth sharing I'd love to just hear whatever's there well these were actually for the empathy summit um but I pretty much touched on them because I did I did I did go over them in my head a few times but I will just read this out like um the most interesting part to me was sharing where I got um a lot of my research like what I researched to find out what I was learning. Um, so when it came to interpretive content, I looked really heavily at Baltimore 68 project, um, which was an amazing project um, nationally awarded. Um, and it was like an oral histories project at the University of Baltimore. And the questions that I learned to keep asking myself were whose voices are reoccurring in the space? Whose voices do we need to amplify? And are there any voices we're ignoring? Um, that's, those are questions you should constantly be asking yourself definitely the enemy um and let me see oh other projects you can look at that would really help you um i looked for interactives and facilitation i looked at the science of sharing at the exploratorium in san francisco they spoke at our conference i love their work i think it's amazing how they develop conversation outside and um, with games and like apps and like really cool ways of just like talk back conversations that lead to empathy and social interaction. Um, they have a lot of stuff online. They did, they were doing a lot of stuff in person. Um, so they just have really good deep engagement. So I would look at them too. But other than that, I think I touched on everything in my cards. I've memorized them by now. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, thank you so, so much, Tori. What a great Friday way to end um, a week on such a sweet note um, that, that there are many, many ways that we can um, become more empathic and that, uh, that we all have um, a responsibility to reach for those tools and resources, right? To create Absolutely. a better world. Yes, it Thank is a very good end to a very rough week. <laughs> Fingers are crossed for you. Fingers crossed, exactly. All right, well, thank you for having me. Bye, have a great weekend.